When my oldest son, Gavin, was in fourth grade, he took one of those norm-referenced reading tests and tested that he was reading at the ninth grade level. That was awesome. So we were a little bit mystified when the report card came home and he got a B-plus in reading. We had to wonder, what did that B-plus actually mean? It wasn't a reflection of his achievement in reading. Did he just have a bad day taking a test in class? Was he not doing his homework? Did he do something to make the teacher angry? The thing is, we didn't know. Because that single grade just didn't give us enough information. Here's the twist. Today's podcast isn't about grading. It's actually about teacher observation. And we have some of the same problems with teacher observation as we do with giving that reading grade. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to improve life and leadership for assistant principals. This is a content-focused episode, and this content does stand on its own. But we'll also be releasing an issue of Quadrant 2, our free monthly microjournal. We'll be releasing an issue of that next week. And this content will stand on its own, but we also will take a deeper dive into the topic in next week's issue of Quadrant 2. Remember, Quadrant 2 is our free bi-weekly slash maybe monthly microjournal dedicated to helping you implement some of the ideas that you hear on the podcast. Also, for members of our Apex community, we'll offer additional support. We'll be doing a webinar and have a video course lined up for this. So if you find today's topic really stimulating and think this is something you want to bring to your school, then I really encourage you to Go ahead and subscribe to Quadrant 2 and maybe consider subscribing to Apex and get that additional layer of support for implementation. You can find subscription links for Quadrant 2 and more information about Apex at my website, frederickbuskey.com backslash the assistant principal. So you know I like to start with celebrations, and so I'm celebrating that today I'm in Kenya. Well, I'm not literally in Kenya while I'm recording this podcast, but while you're listening to it, I'm most surely in Kenya. My wife is taking some university students and I'm tagging along and really excited to get into several different kinds of Kenyan schools, a couple in the capital of Nairobi, but then also some way out village schools out in rural areas. So really excited and I hope that you'll get some audio postcards and some other inspired content from that trip, but that's my celebration. Have you ever popped into a classroom just to see what's going on and the teacher stops teaching and looks at you and begins just explaining everything that they're doing? Or maybe they continued teaching, but they give you that kind of icy stare of, what are you doing in my classroom? Or after one of those pop-ins, the teacher runs out to you, finds you as soon as class is over and says, what did you think? What did you think? Did I do okay? 
None of these things is helpful, and they all stem from a common problem, and that problem is the inadequate language of classroom observations. Just like my son's reading grade, when we say classroom observations, we're actually talking about a number of different things. And just like that reading grade, the lack of clarity creates problems and impedes our ability to really support our teachers. Without adequate language to differentiate the types of observations that we're doing, teachers don't know why we're in the room. They may not know exactly what we're observing, what we're looking for, or what will happen to the observation data. They don't know what kind of feedback to expect, and they may not even know what the consequences might be. And in the absence of knowing, they're going to make things up. And none of that is good for the system or the rationale of why we're doing observations. On the flip side, having really good language that differentiates the different types of observations can decrease teacher stress. It can set up positive expectations about feedback and data use. It brings clarity to the observation itself or the act of observing the teacher. And those are all things that are absolutely essential to implementing our flywheel, that cycle of providing professional development, following it up with targeted observations, and then using that data to inform the next round of professional development. My goal in this podcast is to get you to embrace four different words to describe four different kinds of teacher observation. And I'll run through those right now. The first one that will come as no surprise is evaluative observation. Now, when I say I'm doing an evaluative observation to a teacher, they know that I'm going to be using some kind of state performance standards using a state form, and they should know the other elements of the process. There's probably a formal meeting at the end and signing of documents and sharing of the data. In performative observations, we're there for our own benefit. We may be working on our own observation skills. We may be thinking about how to best record data. We want to grow as observers, and it's not about the teacher. We also may just want to know what's going on in this classroom and many other classrooms as well. We want to know how the curriculum is being taught, but again, for our benefit. And so when teachers know that we're in for a performative observation, they know that they're probably not going to get any feedback from us. Because as soon as I start giving feedback, in one sense, I'm judging And what we want teachers to do is to associate performative observations with no judgment so that they'll just be doing their natural thing and not be nervous when we come into the classroom. So performative observations benefit us, and they are on the opposite side of the spectrum as evaluative observations. Another kind of observation is the formative observation, and that's inspired by formative assessment. So formative observation is a way to assess where a teacher is at, and then we use the data from formative observations to inform the next round of professional development. Formative observations are applied usually 
when we're working with a specific teacher. So it's very targeted based on what that teacher is working on. So if a teacher is struggling with classroom management, we may do a formative observation on beginning of class procedures and routines. And all our data will be gathered from that. That data will be shared with that teacher. And then we'll use that data to discuss how to provide professional development that will help that teacher grow in that area. The fourth kind of observation are called normative observations. And so if you think of normative tests, those are tests that everybody gets. A normative observation is a look at a behavior that we expect everybody or everybody within a subgroup of teachers to be doing. So if we're focusing on implementing a specific type of questioning strategy, we're going to do normative observations to assess the degree to which the questioning strategy has been implemented. Is it being implemented with fidelity? And is it actually being used in the classrooms? So by doing that, by collecting that data of what's going on in every, every single classroom, we come up with a normative set of data that tells us about implementation, about quality and frequency of implementation. And then that data is not broken down. It's not disaggregated. It's only used in the whole. So if we do 50 observations on implementation of a specific questioning strategy, when we share that, when we look at that data as an ILT and when we share it with teachers, we're going to be looking at the amount of implementation across those 50 observations and we're not breaking it out by teachers. So embracing this language of evaluative, formative, performative, and normative observations leads to several benefits. First of all, when we consistently use that language within our own instructional leadership team, it helps us really focus on exactly what our observation instrument should look like, on exactly what we're looking for when we go into a classroom. Secondly, when we use that language with teachers, they know exactly why we're there. And we can get out of the cycle of people giving us dirty looks or people getting really nervous or people trying to explain what they're doing. Because they know why we're in that classroom, then they know exactly what we're looking for and they know what kind of feedback they can expect based on that specific kind of observation. There are four challenges, I think, with implementing the system. Uh, first of all, I do think it's an easy thing to implement because it's just using language. We're not really changing anything that we do. Hopefully, we'll refine our practice a little bit, but we already do all four of these types of observations. So all we're doing is providing clarity and giving a name to each type of observation. But there are a couple challenges. So the first one is to name it and to kind of clean up your practices. It's likely in the absence of these clear definitions and clear delineations between the types of observations that there are times when you're mixing different methods and doing part formative and part performative or part normative and part performative, and that's not really healthy. So one of the implementation challenges is going to be to clean up 
your observations and make sure that you're staying within your lanes on those. A second one is just introducing the language to the staff. The third challenge is really being consistent with the usage of that language. And then the fourth, and this is related to cleaning up your practices, is to maintain fidelity to the terminology and to the purpose. So we don't do formative observations and then use that as normative data. We don't do normative observations and then take that specific data and use that for formative stuff. Outside of that, I think this is a really easy lift and it's something that can provide a really high benefit. So maybe check your own pulse on this. What are your next steps? I'd love to see you share this with your team and some of your teachers and get their reactions. You can go and describe it yourself. You can subscribe to Quadrant 2 and get that issue next week and just share that with people, stick it in their mailboxes. I guess you could even forward the link to this podcast and encourage people to listen to it. But no matter how you do it, share this idea. Share these four different terms. Give people a chance to read or listen and then have the discussion. Think about what the barriers are to implementing this. How much effort will it actually take and what will be the value? And finally, what's the opportunity cost? If you're busy driving this new language, these four key terms, is that going to stop you from doing anything else that's really important? If you're on your own, you're not part of, you're not in a school with a really high functioning instructional leadership team, there's still nothing to stop you from using this language. And there's nothing to stop you from being specific and sharing this language with the teachers you work with. They might really appreciate it. So to tie this off, for not much effort and a lot of value, we can bring in four terms that describe four different kinds of classroom observation. Evaluative observations, which are high stakes used for contract purposes. Formative evaluations, which are used with specific individual teachers and are part of coaching cycles and individual growth. Performative observations, which are for our own benefit as the observer. And normative observations, which help us follow up on professional development and strategies that we're implementing in classrooms across the school or across a grade level or subject area. Embracing this vocabulary, being consistent with using it, helps provide clarity, it focuses our observations, and it's one more step to building your flywheel. If you really want a high-functioning school, we've got to be able to continually grow our teachers and to grow your teachers you need to get into that cycle of providing support, providing professional development, following up with targeted observations, and then using that observation data to work with your teachers to plan the next round of professional development. That's the flywheel. And having adequate vocabulary around classroom observations, something that can really, it's like oil going into your flywheel. It will just make it spin easier. All right, that wraps up today's content-focused show. Again, if you subscribe to Quadrant 2 by October 16th, 2022, you'll be able to get 
our issue that is dedicated to these four patterns of observations that has some things that you can print out, that you can hand out, and just more information packed into a nice tidy package. If you're listening to this podcast after October 16th, 2022, then just email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com and I'll be happy to send you a copy. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. You can ask questions, make requests, and give us feedback at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com backslash the assistant principal. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the assistant principal podcast. Cheers.